millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Susanna Constantine, and this is My Wardrobe Malfunction, the podcast that's perfect for the drawing in nights now that autumn is with us. This is a bonus episode and our 66th in total. And my guest today is someone very special to me, someone who I haven't seen in decades. It's Lady Glen Connor, who was lady-in-waiting to Princess Margaret for more than 30 years and is now a best-selling author. So our background, we do have a background because I went out with Princess Margaret's son, David Lindley, for a long time and I got to know Anne well during those years. So let's grab the handles open my wardrobe doors and find out what's inside. Today, I am delighted to be with lady-in-waiting to Princess Margaret for more than 30 years, but even more staggeringly, she is a best-selling author and now heir to Agatha Christie with her two crime novels. I am with Lady Glen Connor. Oh, Anne, I can't believe I'm seeing you. It's, I feel quite emotional seeing you. Well, I'm absolutely thrilled because we haven't seen each other for quite a number of years. And I've got a, a, a photograph of us. I don't know if anybody can see it, but I'm showing it to you anyway. It was taken at Colin's um, uh, Peacock Ball um, yeah. and you're in a lovely pink dress. And, I'm, and Princess Margaret is in a sort of golden dress and yeah. I'm in a blue dress. And I remember, and look at David, her son, David Lindley, who is your boyfriend, I think, at that moment. Exactly. Uh, in an amazing sort of um, peacock, white peacock headdress. Um, God, that was such a night. I re- Do you know what I remember about that night, Anne, is that I got so overexcited that night that I passed out. I don't know if you remember that. I, I pass clean up. Well, where did you pass out? I hope not, 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 not in the swimming pool. <laughs> no, I didn't. It was in that. Luckily, I was in the loo. And I remember, I think it was Jerry Hall came to help me. And she was so sweet. And I was like collapsed. And how and, and it, for you? It was, but it was just the, the excitement of the whole night. It was. It was the I, most amazing night. And do you remember the wonderful boat? Uh, that, that we came uh, to the musty on, uh, and it had wonderful sails that went up to music. I remember, um, uh, and um, anyway, it was little overall, and was sort of bobbing about just in front of the house, um, and the house was all lit up, and uh, everybody looked fantastic, didn't they? They really did, and I remember that that boat so well. It was, what was it called? The Sea Wind or something, or Sea Star? Was it the Sea Star? And it was a, the first of that sort of line. It was the most beautiful boat. Beautiful. I, I always remember talking about dresses. Uh, um, I remember Princess Margaret because Colin had 
uh, most of our dresses made in India. We went out on various trips to India. And I remember when Princess Margaret first saw her dress, she said, I've been waiting all my life, she said, for a dress like this. It really makes me feel like a proper princess. <laughs> oh, my God. I, do you know what? I miss her. I miss her so much. So and, and, and the thing I, I loved about your book, Lady in Waiting, I've, I've read all your books, but Lady in Waiting was the first one. And it was just such a relief to see someone who obviously was very close to her, but portrayed her in a way of how she was and how I remembered her as being funny, warm, loving, protective, all those things. She was like a second mum to me. It, I, well, it, it, that really inspired me to write the book partly. I won't mention names, but somebody wrote this horrible book about her. I can remember his name, the absolute wanker Craig Brown. Absolutely right. Well, I didn't yeah. remember his name, but I wasn't quite sure. Well, I, yeah. uh, and if I ever meet him, I'm going to say to him, I want to thank you very much, because if it wasn't for you, I would never have written Lady in Waiting. And I just wanted to put the record straight, because, mm -hmm. I mean, you and I knew her, and we knew how wonderful. She's a, my best friend. I mean, she's a wonderful friend to me. And so, especially when Henry you know, got AIDS and was mm -hmm. ill, she was so supportive. And I miss her, because didn't you find that when you asked her a question, she um, answered it in a sort of way you didn't expect? She often came from things from a different angle. And I thought I loved all that. You know, she was, I don't know why. I mean, she, she had a, a sort of, she had her royal moments. Mm. Oh, but then she was very royal. I mean, when she was a child, I mean, there were just the four of them. The king, the queen, uh, Princess Elizabeth and Princess Margaret Rose. And half the world was pink. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, her father was King Emperor. Unbelievable. Isn't it unbelievable? And she, but she just seems so, I mean, I just remember her as being my boyfriend's mother. You know, that's the person I saw. Well, yes, of course. And, and I mean, you knew her, I mean, I knew her perhaps in a slightly different way. Mm. But I mean, we were childhood friends. And she, because I'm sitting here in Norfolk talking to you, and I'm only about 12 miles from Sandingham. So uh, she and the Queen used to come um, a lot to Holcombe when I was a child. And Princess Margaret was such fun. I mean, we got up to quite a lot of mischief, actually. The Queen was sort of six years old and, uh, you know, was always saying, oh, Margaret, you mustn't do that. And, oh, Anne, what are you doing? Uh, Princess Margaret and I used to be on our tricycles and sort of tricycle away with screams of laughter. <laughs> so I can just so imagine it. And you, you put that across so well um, in your book and especially in um, your new book, which is coming out today. And I love that. I love the fact that it's, um, you know, haunting at Holcomb. And I love the fact that it just really gives the reader an, a true insight into, A, how things were, but how, in so many ways, life in a big stately home was, was just unglamorous. And, yes, you were in big surroundings, but it was very much the same as everybody else. You had... You know, you, you had the rations, you had, you know, you had, you struggled. Uh, yes, I, I, and uh, I think people sort of don't remember for children how frightening it was. Mm. I mean, we thought Hitler was, especially here, uh, we're only a mile from the coast. And actually Hitler had all his flat bottom boats in 
uh, Holland and Belgium and was going to um, invade England from here. Luckily, it went to Russia, so it didn't happen. But um, it was frightening. And uh, there were coupons. And, I mean, my coronation dress, I'm gonna, um, I've got, when we talk about something that I sort of love, um, I mean, it was amazing when I went to Norman Hartnell, uh, and there we were fitted with these fantastic dresses. The silk had come from silkworms in Wales, wow. heavily embroidered. Uh, it was the most beautiful, wonderful dress I've ever had. You've had the most extraordinary life, and but what I find so incredible about you, Anne, is you're now having another extraordinary life. <laughs> And, you know, the fact that you've, you've written, you wrote Lady in Waiting and it became a, a massive success with over 200,000 copies sold, I think, just in this No, 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 half a million. Half, I love you, put me right, half a million. So that was what I wanted. Uh, I said, I didn't know anything about writing books. <laughs> I said to my publisher, Hodder, I said, I, I got two girls. One is to sell over half a million, which I've done. And the other is to be on Graham Norton's red sofa. She said, it's quite impossible. We won't achieve that. Uh, and I said, mark my words. Or like Colin saying, mark my words. I'm going to make musty household name. And I got on. And it was, it, was, uh, it turned out to be a great success. Uh, but in there, my books, uh, being, uh, it's being published in Russia and Japan, all over the world. Uh, and one of the things I really didn't think that, is I've, I'm a sort of author, uh, I'm an agony art author. There's people write to me from all over the world, quite a lot about people who've lost children or people interested in, you know, the royal family. And, you know, and as you were saying a minute ago, I, the sort of upstairs, downstairs life, I lived at Holcomb, um, mm. you know, during the war. When and it, the, my last book, Haunting at Holcomb, is about Lady Mary Campbell. She then became Lady Mary Cook. She mm -hmm. refused, she's the daughter of the Duke and Duchess of Argyle, and refused to consummate her marriage, which in those days, um, um, marriages were all about producing an heir, especially in aristocratic families. And she refused that, so she was locked up at Holcomb. And this eventually she was rescued. <laughs> by our mother, but this is her ghost, and, and she's very powerful at Holcomb. I mean, she's a pusher and a, um, you know, a pincher, and leaves all the lights on. And, uh, well, people who read my book, Haunting at Holcomb, will, I write about exactly what she does, which is extraordinary, quite extraordinary. And, and so that is, that's not fiction. I, was, I wanted to ask you about how much is fiction in the book? In fact, Haunting at Holcomb isn't really fiction at all. There's mm. one story that runs through it about the necklace. That's yes. the only uh, story that isn't true. But all the characters are true. I changed mm. their names. I mean, mm. my horrible governess, I had everything I write in the book is absolutely true. In fact, it was even worse than what I wrote. Really? She's called, what was she called? Mrs. Lavender. Uh, well, well, I could change her name. She wasn't called yeah. Yeah. Lavender Crane, Miss Lavender. Yeah, Lavender, yeah, in, in the book. I sort of gave her a sort of uh, an unexpected, rather, rather nice name but, uh, to, to hide what she was really like. I mean, what was simply marvellous about writing, I find, uh, is it's so therapeutic. I mean, yes. I felt quite 
I always kept all, because my parents weren't there, you know, and I thought my mother had engaged her just before they left for Egypt. And I thought my mother knew what she was doing to me, you know, like you do. And I didn't dare tell anybody. Mm. And I think probably a lot of other people who suffered abuse will, you know, when they read my book, will relate to it. Mm. It's funny how the, the subject matters that you touch on are so contemporary. They happened, you know, decades ago, but they're still so contemporary. And that's what's amazing about what you're writing. People can relate to it, relate to your words, relate to um, the issues in a way, and it doesn't matter how old they are. No, I mean, those sort of things, I think it does go on and, um, you know, the number of people have lost children and you never mm. think you're going to um, lose your child you know, you think you're going to die first. And so to have lost two, like I did, well, you knew them, Henry mm. and Charlie, because they were mm. at that party. Um, and then for Christopher to have this appalling accident. Awful. And uh, I had to cope with knowing two of my sons who died, going to die, and one that could have died. But I absolutely, with my lovely nanny who helped me look after the children, who then went on to look after William and Harry mm. uh, she came back Barbara. to me for, for mm. Barbara, Barbara. Mm. and she came back to me for a year she rang up and said oh Lady Grancona um, she just left um, William and Harry and said I'd love to come and help you with Christopher and she was brilliant she thought of all sorts of ways that they hadn't thought about in the hospital like he couldn't swallow so one day she bought a baby's bottle and the nurse said, what are you doing, Miss Barnes, in this bottle? And she said, can I just try it? And she put it between his lips and sort of, and he began to suck and he swallowed. And we, we wrote, Barbara and I wrote an article for the uh, Lancet about how as we as lay people felt, um, you know, what, what, what we could do with people in comas. That's extraordinary. So from that, you must have seen, I mean, just that, that small thing kind of resulted in such a huge moment because there was his will. You saw in the sucking his will to survive. Yes, and uh, I mean, he couldn't, well, he, he couldn't have had a life at all if he couldn't swallow, you know. No. Um, uh, 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 so it's vital that we, that we got him to swallow. And this yeah. is how we did it. And lots of other things we did, you know. Yeah. Uh, um, and uh, Christopher is still quite badly... Um, disabled but he's been married twice amazing yeah, he's got the most lovely second wife joanna who helps me she's now my peer and um he's got these two very clever daughters one's got a got a first at king's the other day no. the other one yes the other ones probably will do the same um fantastic and he's never complained christopher you know and he always says mum it's much worse for you than for me he said I, I he said i wouldn't change my life at all i've had a different life but i've been he helps other people who have been in comas and uh, we we work for headway which is a charity for um people who are head injured so you know i'm so lucky and then charlie and henry each have a son so I've got two wonderful grandsons. And you'd never guess that Charlie's son is a banker and a lawyer. <laughs> no, the antithesis of Charlie. Well, I mean, Charlie would be absolutely amazed to know <laughs> that his son was a banker. I mean, it always amuses me, that. And then I've got two twins. Uh, one of them's married with two children. But um, Henry would be a grandfather because Ewan has got... I've got two great-grandchildren, uh, William and Ruby. 
and they're absolutely lovely. So I've got great grandchildren from them. So I'm Amazing. really, really, and as you said, my life has completely changed now. I'm having a ball. I mean, mm. I've never enjoyed uh, uh, <laughs> having me what I call in the shadows, rather, especially with Colin, uh, who's mm. ringmaster uh, uh, par excellence, and Princess Margaret, which, of course, that was my job, was to follow. Mm. Uh, um, so suddenly I'm out with a bang. Amazing. <laughs> it's amazing. It's amazing. And have you always loved writing? I've always, um, I, I dictated my books, you know, because uh, age 87, when they asked me, I could be 90 next year. Unreal. Uh, uh, yeah, I just couldn't physically. So I dictate them. But I've always told stories. Yeah. I mean, the, the one um, on Musty, uh, I, I mean, they're thinly disguised, the characters, you know, mm. real people who live on Musty. But, um, and I've always longed, I've always adored Agatha Christie. And um, thought, you know, it's a slightly upmarket Agatha Christie. But um, I did have 12 years alone with Colin on Musty. And it did cross my mind once or twice I might murder him, actually. <laughs> <laughs> so I had I have sort of you know, thought about how I might do that. So, so it didn't exactly, I had, you know, but I've always told myself stories, quite often to get around difficult moments in my life, you know, I go mm. off into a sort of, I tell myself a sort of fairy story, really. I so identify with that, because I, I do that when I can't sleep. I think about ways I could murder someone without getting caught, yes. or how I would smuggle drugs into the country without getting <laughs> caught. Those are the two things I think about. I don't count sheep. I think about how I'm going to avoid jail. They're much more interesting. Sheep are so boring. Uh, no, but I did. I've always told myself sort of stories, and, and of course, you've read in Haunting at Holcombe. My governess does. Uh, have a sticky end, shall we say? And that was something. Even as a small child, I thought about how can I murder her? How can I get rid of her? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, it's all come very useful to me now. You know, it's fantastic. And have you always been so determined? Because your life, you know, with everything that you've been through, you could have been crushed. But you know, we've come to know you as this person with immense inner strength but also this tremendous determination. Has that always been in you? Yes, I think it has. I call it, call it Norfolk obstinacy, but uh, uh, no, I, I, um, you only have one life. Uh, my life hasn't been very easy, but on the other hand, I've done amazing things like being chosen for the coronation. I mean, goodness, mm. I mean, fantastic. And uh, Princess Margaret, I love my 34 years with her. And, and I, I love Colin, of course. I mean, it's mm. <laughs> very difficult. Um, and he gave me the fantastic life in the end with Musty. Uh, but I am quite determined, yes, I mean, to make the very best of my life um, and to enjoy it as much as mm. I can. And I mm. thought, well, I can't when the boys are so ill. And then I had the twins, Christopher. And I couldn't be a weepy old uh, sort of hopeless mother. I had to pull myself together and do... The, and the other thing, which isn't perhaps very fashionable to talk about, is I've got a great faith, a religious mm. faith. And um, that has helped me more than anything. Mm. It really has. Mm. I, I mean, I've always been to church when I was young, and uh, that sort of lip service one pays to pay. And it wasn't until 
uh, the boys were dying, Christopher might have died, that I rarely started to, you know, have a very serious conversation mm. with God, quite frankly. And well, so I I'm think, not, yeah. Yeah, I'm not I, going to lose Christopher. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, you know, faith comes in many forms. And, I mean, I have a very strong faith because... Um, but not, I don't know if it's God per se, but I have a, what I call a higher power because I'm in recovery because I'm an alcoholic. And so I, yeah. I go to AA and la, la, la. And I have a, a higher power. And I find it so comforting to know that I've got so, so, someone looking out for me. And it's kind of like if I do the rowing, <laughs> the outcome is in safe hands. Well, you're absolutely right. I mean, you have to do a lot yourself. Yeah. It has to come from you. Um, uh, but but um, one's faith can support one. And in Lady in Waiting, I won't go into it now, but I did have one sort of minor miracle. That, uh, oh, please tell me. Tell, tell me what it was. Remind me. Well, I had uh, this wonderful Christian healer called Mrs. Black. She lived in Scotland. And uh, when Christopher had his accident, I, you know, I tried everything and went everywhere, I listened to everything. Anyway, I was told that she was a fantastic healer, and she was. And uh, she used to come down once a month to see Christopher. And she, when she's with him, she did extraordinary things. She got him to sit up. I mean, the doctors didn't particularly like her, but mm. she was fantastic. And anyway, one day she used to ring me up to see how he was. And I was so tired one day, I just thought I'm going to die. I, can't, I just feel. And she said, Anne, you don't sound too good. And I said, I'm not. I just think I'm going to die with tiredness. So she said, well, tomorrow morning, sit in a comfortable chair at 10 o'clock in the morning and uh, don't think of anything. Just blank your mind. Don't think of anything. So slightly like doubting Thomas, I sat slightly embarrassed and hoping no one was coming. <laughs> and 10 o'clock arrived. And it was extraordinary. It felt as if I, uh, that I was full of champagne and energy and hope and happiness. And it didn't last for very long. But all I can say was after that, I went back to the hospital. I went back and I, I had the energy to, 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 to do everything for the boys again. Amazing. And it, it was, that was the only time anything like that's happened to me. But it was it was it was my minor miracle. But do you think Anne that came from Mrs. Black, or was she kind of thinking of you at the same time? Was she a healer, or was she? she yeah, she's a healer. A spirit she's a yeah. She she. I think God came through her. Okay. Oh, sorry, dogs. I'm so sorry. Yappy little. They'll probably keep barking. The postman's here. So I'll just wait for them to stop bloody barking. Is a postman <laughs> Yeah, the postman's just outside the outside one of the doors and is posting, and then he'll drive away. I'm so sorry. No, no, no. I mean, how how much long? I mean, what? Well, as long as you've got. I'm I'm so happy talking well, to you. I, well, it's so lovely actually to talk to somebody like you. Oh, I know, because you know I do do these interviews, but I mean, you know, I've never seen anybody before, or occasionally, you know, Jars Bamworth or something like that. Yeah, um, it's, it's so lovely. To, I'm so pleased when you wanted. I mean, I've got. I thought you were going to ask about um, something that means a great deal to me. Oh, I'm going to. I'm going to get on to that. I'm going to. I've got all my little questions lined something up. Something about my comfort. I've got them here to show you. Brilliant. 
How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Brilliant. Okay, so I want to go on to more clothing things, Anne. Um, um, yeah. So the things which I find quite odd today being nearly 60 I find it so extraordinary when people come to our house and it's like the young my children's friends and my children always automatically take their shoes off before they come in they all do that and then people come here and not so much friends but people who are helping out and they all say can we take our shoes off I was just thinking about that yesterday I thought I'm gonna ask Anne whether that's something that she comes across no, no. People don't do that. Who, who makes me take my shoes off? Um, somewhere I did, but but no, uh, it, it's not. So, well, actually, yes, I know who do, who do, and they're probably are my great grandchildren. They when they come, they say, "Granny, should we take our shoes off?" And I say, "No, no, it's not necessary." <laughs> um, don't yeah, don't worry about. It. So I imagine uh, at home that they probably do. Um, I mean, I do see if you're doing all the housework yourself that to, to take your shoes off, uh, I mean, does stop a lot of mud coming into the house. It? I suppose, but I just find it, you know, there are things like that that I, I do find just kind of strange. I know. I was uh, sadly didn't come to anything because of COVID, but I was asked to speak at the Oxford Union. And I was really, really looking forward to that. Um, a, I would have said, uh, you know, it's a wonderful young audience, because on the whole, my audiences aren't very young. And I was going to say, you know, I, I expect you won't understand me, and I certainly don't understand you. So let's have a conversation. And I was going to tease a bit, oh. you know, about uh, not clapping and jazz hands and, um, <laughs> you, you know, and saying that, you know, my generation certainly was not brought up. I mean, we're not snowflakes. We're not work. We're, you know, and I find it very difficult to understand some of the things that, that they mind about. I really do. No, I, I, I am 100% with you and I get very frustrated. I could sit and, you know, give you a list as long as my arms of things that annoy me. And, and yeah, words, you have to be so careful. And it's like, yes. like my children who are not woke, 
or you know they they are very they're quite sort of feral and they've grown up in the countryside and you know they they're fearless and I love that about them but they do worry it's like you know if they've put something that's maybe a bit dodgy on Instagram it's like my youngest daughter said oh my god what if I go for a job is this going to be bad and I said you, they feel they can't be themselves and then there'll be contemporaries who will jump on a bandwagon and force their you know their friends or people at school it's like shame them for not jumping on a bandwagon and I think that's just appalling yeah well I do too I mean um you know you read in the newspaper every day you know some footballer wouldn't uh, bend the knee or whatever they have mm. uh, and might have to leave well I mean surely you're allowed to do, you know if you feel strongly about something I don't see why you should be forced into it just because mm. a whole lot of other people say so mm. no absolutely the words I mean when I'm writing I'm quite sort of words I never think about oh no you can't use that Lady Joan Connor you know uh, I, I, you know it's ridiculous really so what, when that happens, do you go, I suppose, you think it's ridiculous, but do you... Well, I try um, and find some other word. I mean, sometimes yeah. I say, no, uh, I'm not changing that, you know. Mm. I'm, I'm going to be 90, and they must expect something 90 to, you know, certain words. Uh, sometimes when, I mean, I don't want to hurt people, embarrass mm. people, or make people feel... You know, especially with black people. I mean, I was, um, you know, spent so long in the Caribbean. Uh, we lived out there and I got so many lovely friends out there. Uh, and, you know, you never thought about it. The minute you come back here, uh, suddenly you have to be so careful, mm. you know. Mm. Um, I mean, that was one of the things about Princess yeah. Margaret. I mean, she was adored out there, wasn't she, in the Caribbean? Absolutely. And she was so good with them all. She loved all the all the dancing to the steel bands, and they, and, uh, they always got our princess, you know. Yeah, no, it was wonderful. At her uh, funeral, I don't know whether you went. Did you go to her funeral? Uh, it was really sad. Colin didn't go. I was so surprised. He he just said, "I don't. I I feel so emotional about it that mm. I really, you know, don't want to break down in front of everybody." But um, afterwards, at the wake, um, one of the ladies in waiting uh, said the Queen wanted to speak to me. And so I went, and it was lovely of her, because, well, you know, especially as we introduced Princess Mark to Roddy, you know, I was slightly awkward about it. But she said, um, you know, uh, and I wanted to thank you and tell Colin, um, you know, how happy you made Margaret, you know, with her house and everything. And also she said, uh, you know, she's so happy with, with Roddy Llewellyn as well. They were very nice that, you know, to thank mm. us. Yeah, very nice. I mean, she, they, they had such a close bond, didn't they? Those two, in, in such an unexpected way, and I don't want to go into it, but, but because that's something that's private, but they were both so different, but it didn't matter. It, they were so accepting of each other. Exactly. And I think there's sort of six years um, difference in age. I mean, I remember when we were all children together, you know, the Queen was always looking out for, for Princess Margaret. You know, she was always seeing she's all right and all that. Um, uh, no, I mean, and Princess Margaret adored, adored her sister. Mm. Um, was always very supportive. Yeah. Mm. No, it's a... I really wish... So much she was still around. I really so do I. 
I really, and yeah, for you especially. I was looking at my more photographs of Colin's um, um, peacock ball, uh, and it sort of brought back so many happy memories. It, it was a lovely, it was a lovely week, wasn't it? That it was fantastic, and I remember, I remember the boat. We sailed all. We went to Saint Lucia to Les Jolies No, not Les Jolies That's Princess Margaret's house. What was it called? The Colin. No, Colin's. He was. He was he was starting a new resort there between the. Oh, pitons. you mean uh, uh, Saint Lucia? On Saint Lucia, yeah. Oh yes, uh, Bang. Well, it was uh, his. Uh, he could, he had a restaurant there called Bang between the pitons. Yeah, and then there was the elephant all dressed uh, up. The elephant. Do you remember on Beckway, a little island? Um, he done. Um, we all went uh, to find these cutouts of various people that were hidden in the and the Queen was sort of. The Queen's cutout was in a sort of jungle, and Princess Margaret, I can't remember. Princess Margaret, I think, was propping up a bar somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> but it was such fun. And we all, we all whizzed round in different cars to find them all, and then Colin gave us, the, the winners got a, a prize at the end. You know, I've still got the T-shirt from that, and it was called the Windstar. Oh, was the way, it's from the Windstar. And I've still got, we all got a T-shirt, a striped sort of Breton T-shirt, and then it, with the Windstar written in red writing, and I still have that. I, we, I should have found it to show it to you. I still have it. Uh, yeah, it's I just know. such happy memories. It's brought back so many memories. With your boys, Charlie and, and Henry, and all the difficult times, and then with Christopher, was there anything that gave you comfort, a sort of physical thing that gave you comfort, like a comfort blanket through those times? Well, I always wore, I've got them here. For my wedding, my mother and father gave me uh, three, thing, three things of pearls, there they are. Um, and Colin gave me uh, the clasp, which is an 18th century diamond button. Wow. You probably see it there. Oh, that's a big diamond. That's like a pillow in the middle, rose cut. Well, anyway, and I always wore there, but partly because pearls should be worn, you know, they fade, they need the human warmth. So, mm. so that was my comfort. Stunning. Shall I, shall I just show you what um, the thing that uh, sort of means the most? Yes. That is the head, and it's the only one that all the other girls, I think, have lost them. There may be one left, but that's what I wore. Um, uh, <laughs> on the coronation? Uh, on the coronation. Uh, I got my dress, which is uh, um, slightly the worst for wear, uh, because my father showed it at Holcomb and it was in the sun. But, but this, I suppose, uh, and the dress are the things... Uh, that, that mean the most to me um, as far as sort of something to wear. Like your birthday suit. Mm. Such an incredible moment. I mean, I'm so lucky to be chosen. We had to be daughters of earls, marquesses or dukes. We had to be mm. unmarried. We had to have sort of nice figures and all that sort of thing. But I was just so lucky I was the right age and, and came, you know, and all that. So that's what I... So that headdress, can I just say, what's it made of? So this is the headdress that you wore at the coronation. Uh, uh, the, the little, um, uh, these are years of corn. They're made of gold things. These are mother of pearl. Yeah. And there's years of corn. And then there are, there's um, little, little diamonds occasionally. And 
they, 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 the flowers, there's uh, leaves and various flowers here. Um, and that, that, that was embroidered on our dresses too. Who made that? Who made the headdress? Was that... Okay. And is it made from real pearls and gold? Or... Um, well, no, I think no. probably not. They, uh, there's real mother of pearl. Uh, mm -hmm. There are leaves made of mother of pearl. There's a leaf made of mother of pearl. Mm -hmm. But uh, they uh, were copied uh, for her wedding when the queen was married. Her bridesmaids had similar wreaths uh, mm -hmm. like that. And uh, but um, they looked lovely. You could see it, especially when we went on the balcony with the queen. Um, uh, they also shone uh, this uh, color film, and they they looked really lovely. Have you ever worn it post oh, I the wore coronation? A the year of the coronation, there was a big ball at Buckingham Palace and I did wear my coronation dress. That was the only time. Only time. And what about the headdress? Um, no, I, I've never worn that. No, um, mm. we didn't wear the headdress. But the dresses were very tight and boned, you know, like things were boned very much. And so it wasn't very comfortable. Partly why I think I didn't wear it again, but uh, um, and it had quite a lot longish train too. So what was what, actually what well, didn't have much fun at the party because I was so busy stopping people walking on the on the train. Bit. But uh, shall I tell you my malfunction? Yeah. What's your worst wardrobe malfunction, Lady Clan Connor? Well, it was just the other day. In fact, <gasps> um, I was uh, asked um, by the Duchess of Cornwall to represent her at a Thanksgiving service of a mutual friend up here in Norfolk. And the, the household sends you one or two things, like a wonderful crown that you're allowed to put on, in front of your car when you're going to the church. And a little note saying, the family don't want you to wear black. So I thought, well, okay. And this lovely lady that had died um, had admired once this very, very bright green silk jacket. So I thought, well, I'll wear the bright silk green jacket. And I did, at least I had a black hat. But when I arrived, there were quite a few members, actually, of the royal family there. To my absolute horror, they were all in navy blue or grey. And I stood out like an awful, a huge sort of pea red. And so afterwards, I, I went up to one of Mary's uh, daughters who was away. I said, look, I do apologise, but I was told not to wear black, but I think, well, I overdone it, and, and I just wore this bright green silk jacket because Mary had admired it. So anyway, they were very polite and said, oh, no, it doesn't matter. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I could see me. the other members of the royal family thinking, what earth is Anne wearing? <laughs> <laughs> but you've always worn bright colours. I mean, you're not today, you're in a very sort of like country, country beige. This is a lovely... Uh, cashmere jersey it's a bit chilly in here uh, yeah. and I do wear bright things uh, for my uh, talks I'm talking at Alexandra Palace next week and then I'm going to Bath and um, uh, Guildford and uh, one or two other places and I do wear bright because if you're on a stage um, you know it, it, they can see you mm. <laughs> so uh, I, I, on the whole I do uh, wear quite bright things w when I'm talking and uh, my talks really or they, they are about my books but I uh, engage with people very much the only thing really useful that I learned uh, when I went to a sort of finishing school was to learn public speaking 
and we, oh. we, we used to sit in class, and then I was called Anne Cook then, and the, Miss Neville Braith would say, Anne Cook, uh, five minutes on the Firth of Forth Bridge, and you never knew what you were going to be asked, you know, and so up you got, and um, I had to think on your feet, and actually it, it's great. Um, because I can project my voice and I can engage with people when I'm talking. Mm. I make them laugh, actually. I mean, uh, and they love all those sort of naughty stories about Colin. And, because Colin and Princess Margaret, you've got them in your book. But <laughs> yeah. It's fantastic. You know? you, yeah, you can't help but have fun naughty stories. You can't help with that, exactly. But have you, would you say, were you, was there ever a time in your life where you were shy? Very, yes. Uh, I, you asked that in surprise. I, I was, actually, um, when I was young. And, and when I came out, because I had no brothers, and, you, you know, I'd always been to an all-girls school, and, um, and there weren't very many young men because they, um, they were doing national service. Mm. So these dances, we all had cards to write in. the diff- And mine was generally empty. I, 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 we always sort of write in pretend uh, people. <laughs> And then rush off to the ladies' uh, cloakroom and sit there, uh, because there just weren't very many men, and I was very shy. Mm. I, I, re- I had this tremendous ball at Holcombe, really for my father and mother. They asked all their friends, and the king and queen came. It was white tie and medals, and uh, Princess Margaret. She was lovely. She came, um, but I, I was absolutely so shy. I didn't really mm. enjoy it, which is mm. a shame. If I'd had the dance a year or two later, when I got to know some people, I would have enjoyed it. I mean, mm, Colin came to my book, like coming out dance, and I never met him. I, yeah. For another three years. So how how do you think um, the sort of dressing of the royals has changed from um, your time to today? I think it has changed quite a lot. Um, for instance, I mean, uh, they don't have ladies in waiting, uh, the young ones. Uh, the Queen still has, and I think Princess Alexandra. Um, I mean, it was more formal. Um, I, I, I noticed that, um, that, I mean, I think, I mean, it depended, really. I, I used to travel a lot with Princess Margaret. Um, and I, I imagine the overseas tours probably are, are, are rather similar. Um, I think that what has changed, I noticed that, say, um, Prince William and uh, the Cambridges, I mean, they interact maybe more. Um, we, we Prince Margaret did, but, she, you know, it was all carefully staged. It was much more carefully staged. Now they're more relaxed, I think, and great. Mm-hmm. And they, I think f- from that point of view, um, it, it has changed. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I mean, you know, Princess Margaret, I it would never, I think she, was on one or two things. Was she on in the Archers? I think she did. Have... I think she was. Yes, no, she was. Yes. I think, and she may have been in, in Coronation. Just, but those are the only two things. Nowadays, they are on, on everything, aren't they? Oh. You see them talking, and um, they also write in the newspapers a lot, mm. uh, too, about various things that they, that they feel very strongly about. Mm. Uh, yes, I think it's it's relaxed, and I think it's great. I think. Yeah. Um, and I do think. The Cambridges are wonderful. I live very near them up here. And I think they're doing a fantastic job. I admire them very, very much. And, of course, 
love Prince Charles. You know, I've yes. always, always been. I knew him since he was five. He used to come here, stay with uh, uh, when he, he had mumps or measles. Was a queen had never been to boarding school. He's always sent to her with my mother, who's a lady in waiting, and he was like a sort of younger brother, really, to me and my sister. And I still see uh, quite a lot of him he, mm. now, now. Comes to sound, you know. But I've got the greatest admiration for him. Uh, and he works so hard. Mm. Yeah, I totally agree. He's 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 a extraordinary person, and I yeah. Yes, and so much of what he said, and people used to laugh at talking to plants or whatever it was, mm. and all the things he did. Well, I mean, you know, not climate change and things. He's banging on for years with that. Mm. Well, what he said, all has come true. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. I think yeah. it's very remarkable. Oh, Anne. Well, your book, The Haunting at Holcombe, comes out today. And everybody who's listening, I really urge you to read it because it's it's wonderfully nostalgic. It's quite, I, I got quite, it's quite sinister too, Where in places. And the, your characters are so fabulous. And it's amazing to know that it's all true apart from the the necklace i mean i love that yeah, i'm gonna have to reread it with that in mind i wore it for my uh, wedding uh, and of course uh, the, the book has got m papers of the park at Holcombe, so all the places that you can go and see now you know there that was a map of, of the Holcombe room uh, anyway i'm so glad you liked it i really loved it but uh, who's living at Holcombe now my uh, the, the, the eighth of Leicester. Okay. Tom, Tom and Polly, they're, they're lovely. They've got a young family. Yes. And they're doing great things at Holcombe. It's flourishing and um, it's, a, it's, it's really lovely. Mm, fantastic. Well, listen, um, I can't tell you how much it's meant to me seeing you and <laughs> talking to you. And you, you really are an inspiration. And um, just keep on writing. Are you going to write more books? Haunting at Holcombe can't oh, be your last. I think the next one, maybe by my last. Well, what they want me to do is really do more of a memoir because I have, of course, got lots more stories yeah. which I wasn't able to put in Lady in Waiting. So I think uh, if, if I can keep going, uh, um, that will be uh, probably my swan song. But it's been so lovely to see you. I was really looking forward to our talk. Um, so I remember you all those Just years ago. Amazing. And Really, really fantastic. And and I send you so much love and so much luck and um, a big kiss from Sussex. Oh, a kiss from me. Love mm. Thank you, Anne. What a truly extraordinary woman you are. That was such an emotional experience for me and brought back so many happy and fond memories. Lady Glen Connor's new novel, A Haunting at Holcombe, is out today and available in all good bookshops. There's a link to it in the show notes. You can also find us at My Ward Mal on our socials, on our website at mywardmal.com. And of course, subscribe, rate and review us on your chosen podcast platform. Finally, you can find our virtually royal house band, Duo, at duoguitarmusic.com or at Duo Guitar Music on their socials. That's it. Thank you so much again to Lady Glen Connor, and please read her book. It is fabulous. To Duo, and of course, thanks to you for listening. Catch up soon. Until then, my wardrobe is officially closed. 
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.